Hey folks, Jack Osprey here, IU Insider, Indianapolis Star. This is Mind Your Banners for Sunday, September 24th, 2023. I'm always so smooth with the date delivery there. I promise I'm not just looking down at the bottom right corner of my computer screen. Uh, opposite me, virtually as, as ever, is Mike Nizelik from the Bloomington Herald Times. And we are talking, whether you like it or not, about Indiana 29, Akron 27. Uh, Mike, you know, listen... Indiana won, and therefore, especially when a coach and his players are doing a lot of talking about self-examination and self-recrimination, you know, you're at least allowed to kind of say that with a smile on your face, I suppose. Um, there's really very little positive to take out of this game. The turnovers, I guess, it's always nice when the defense, you know, if you're a coordinator or a defensive-minded head coach, it's always nice when your defense finds – the end zone, but you got outgained by Akron by almost 200 yards. They had more rushing yards. They had more passing yards. They had 10 more first downs than you. They ran 24 more plays than you. Um, they had a substantial time of possession advantage. They converted more third downs. They were better in the red zone. But the only thing that really went better for Indiana, at least in terms of base stats, was Akron was penalized twice as often for almost twice as many yards. It was a really bad night. Indiana was incredibly fortunate to get out of with a win. Yeah, I don't think I used it in my story, but I kind of thought of it as a four-hour marathon of the team Tom Allen doesn't want to be, <laughs> essentially. Uh, they they didn't have an explosive offense. Uh, it was very sort of, I mean, they had those two 40-yard plays, and that was it. They didn't run the ball uh, particularly well. The offensive line didn't do anything uh which is not kind of the bully that he wants them to be you know he's talked about bowing up and sort of the goal line situations that you know it doesn't matter what the play call is that uh they should be able to you know just kind of strength uh strength on strength and push push the pile on and well that didn't happen and then on defense um you know obviously the three turnovers was sort of maybe the lone exception um everything else you know the running quarterback you didn't contain him uh on the design plays um you kind of struggled with stuff up the middle uh very soft there um undisciplined a lot of mistakes um so i, I just th i just thought it was kind of the you know you could take that tape and say like here's what we don't want to do um and uh you know in a disappointing I think it's more disappointing that this comes in game four um, when you've named uh, Taven the quarterback, when you're supposed to be moving sort of in a positive direction and you regressed against, you know, arguably what was supposed to be the worst offenses in the FBS. And I don't think that's sort of overstating it. Um, you know, statistically over the last, you know, basically Joe, Joe Moorhead's tenure, they've just not been good. Um, you know, their starting left tackle got knocked out. So, I mean, really, you had no excuse for what the performance ended up looking like. I think the, I mean, listen, we can pick apart, you know, you're right about Akron's offense. And, and I think what's what's even more concerning, it didn't feel like Akron was, you know, drawn up plays in the sand to be, I mean, they would, it, it felt like you could, you could even from the press box have a decent idea what Akron was trying to do offensively by the end of the third quarter. Once basically once Irons got back into the game because he was out for a while there. Um, but once he got back in, you just you you almost knew what Akron was gonna do, and Indiana just kind of looked 
just incapable of adjusting to it. And then offensively, I mean, Indiana had, I think, five second-half drives. One was 11 plays. It was one of the two drives that got all the way down to the, what, the one or the two. They could not get it in. That was the one where they basically gave up on trying to score inside the two-yard line, which is a really concerning sort of <laughs> – that's an indictment of your offense by itself. And um, they just they, they just kicked the field goal. The other four drives in the second half, the third, third and fourth quarters, every one of them was a three and out. And – you know, I think we can we can talk about, I guess, the X's and O's in a minute, but I mean, the overarching theme that I think was most interesting from Saturday was basically everyone admitting that they tried to look past Akron. And listen, I understand. I mean, they were a three-score favorite. Akron is was expected to be one of the worst teams in the MAC, and frankly, has looked like it for most of the season, not counting maybe the second half and part of the overtime of, of Saturday night. Um, but, you know, Tom Allen is, has never been a coach who, uh, I mean, he's, you know, he's not, he's not Mike Leach, but he'll tell you what's on his mind if he's, if he's in the mood. And uh, it was pretty clear post game that he did not feel compelled to stand on ceremony, calling out his roster for, um, what he felt was a really bad week of practice, a real lack of focus, a real lack of intensity. I think he, he more or less said that he started practice over on Thursday because he was so disappointed with just the way his team. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, something. No, go ahead. Uh, Luis Moore mentioned that a couple of players uh, were benched. Uh, you know, Jordan Greer doesn't normally start at a coin. No, they had extra defensive backs on the, uh, the first play. Um, but, um, you know, they had a difference, um, and, you know, he, he sat out that first place that a cut, there was a couple of players essentially that, um, that, you know, I guess didn't bring in a good enough effort on that practice and that, that, that was sort of the punishment. Um, and so that was sort of obviously certainly eye opening, um, you know, from that perspective. I think, I think he said he was one of that. That was, yeah, that he was one of them. And I mean, it, it again, you know, and, and Taven Jackson, you know, as much as I mean, listen, he's a quarterback, but he's also a redshirt freshman. So you can't expect him to stand up there like a team captain or somebody who's seen it all and has a map of the world written across his face. But he tried, I think, to express some of that sort of we weren't good enough. We know we weren't good enough. We're going to get better. Tom Allen also had some, frankly, pretty pointed words without necessarily pinning the blame on any one person. Um, had some pretty pointed words for his offensive, his team's offensive performance. It's hardly the first week of the season where the offense is underwhelmed, but I think this is the one where, to, you know, to your point about it, it's week four, and this is, I mean, I said this to somebody in, in doing radio before the game, like this was, this was a game where you needed to to build confidence, like you needed Taven Jackson to to expand his game and get even more comfortable. You needed to get some other guys involved. I, I even, you know, Tom Allen doesn't give us very much on injuries anymore, but I looked at the the pregame availability report and wondered if some of these guys that were out, James Bomba, Josh Henderson, guys that kind of came a little bit out of nowhere, if that was almost more like Indiana, you know, almost saying, not sure we need them this weekend. We should be able to get past Akron without – you know, while maybe resting some guys who might have some some dings and some knocks, it just, I mean, listen, if if you can have that, you know, that sort of come to Jesus moment collectively after a game like this, and again, you won the game, and I think that's important, and I've said this many times, 
I have seen seasons when Indiana beat Penn State and went four and eight. I've seen seasons when Indiana was a drop two-point conversion away from losing to Southern Illinois and went to a bowl game. So one game does not derail your season when you do find a way to win, no matter how ugly it is. But so much, frankly, of what comes next for Indiana is going to be defined by this, this, whatever this process of self-examination is and how everybody kind of pulls together out of it. Because on the one hand, sure, Indiana should not have needed its A game to beat Akron. On the other hand, to be this bad against a not very good football team in week four in year seven is not a good, is not a real sort of ringing endorsement of anybody, coaching staff, players, anybody, leaders, captains, offense, defense. Like there's just, there are intangibles there that, you know, when you, when your coach is saying he had to start practices over because he didn't think you were taking this seriously enough, that's you're not in a place where you can do that. Indiana has not earned the right to be a, a, a different team for Akron than it is for Louisville or Maryland or whoever. Um, they got to be better, and and that re- that requires some pretty fundamental fixes. Well, you know, one thing we should probably get into because I'm curious as to what you think and some perspective. Um, you know, I still have a limited amount of Indiana followers on social media, but the ones that have dropped in. I posted a Scott Dolson story today that was unrelated to sort of what transpired yesterday, but um, the responses were mostly fire, get Scott to fire Walt Bell. (laughs) That was not really relevant, but uh, I I think it does sum up. uh, I think if you go on some of the uh, social media boards uh, or I mean uh, message boards, I think the frustration is building about that. Um, You know, we could get into the play calling. We can get into uh, where they're at the season, you know, they did make the coaching change, what, um, six weeks into last season with the offensive line. Um, I just don't see that as a possibility with a young quarterback and trying to reset. I mean, I guess they do have somebody on the staff, you know, and Rod Carey, right? He's a analyst still um, that has offensive coordinator experience. But, you know, they said make changes. Do you sense that that's something that they would even consider? I, I think that would be hard. No, to I do, mean, for, know, for a few reasons. A red- Number one, Walt Bell's a play caller. You know, Darren Hiller wasn't. Number two, um, I think there was a larger body of work around just sort of the the regression of the offensive line under Hiller. Number three, your point is really valid about a young quarterback and and maybe not um, feeling like a a young quarterback should, um, you know, should uh, have to navigate that sort of change midseason. And number four, and and listen, this is not me. I want to be really clear. It is week four. And like if Indiana manages to upset Maryland next weekend, this all shifts back in the other direction. Um but the other thing I would say just from a just 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 so people know, and I say this in a completely objective and unbiased way, Walt Bell's contract expires after this year. So you don't really have to fire him. Yeah, he was, uh, you know, I, I did the story on the contracts. They have rolling contracts yeah. um, that, that renew, and his was one of the ones that hasn't been renewed. So yeah, um, yeah. it will just so, expire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like there's there's also... That's a sign of- that obviously they this was a put up or shut up sort of season that you don't extend it to, to sort of see where you're at after the season. And I think the, you know... It, but are the, are you know, you've obviously been here and seen this offense 
during his whole tenure. So you have some more perspective. How concerned are, I mean, you know, everybody wants to fire the OC after offensive struggles. The, the three games against teams that are, you know, uh, uh, FBS teams, power five teams, well, you know, this, the season have not been good. Like our, and you know, last year was obviously not great as well. Um, what are your thoughts on the overall state of the offense and how much of it is to, is Walt Bell to blame for it? Good Lord, can't find the mute button. Um, like I'm, I'm always really hesitant to be, you know, like fire the offensive coordinator guy insofar as there's so much that you just won't know whether it's because they won't share it or no. And I'm not saying that, but I'm sort of reacting. I mean, that's where but, the fan base is at. I think, right. But I think, to this, this I four think stretch. That, what I would, that's what, what I would say is more than anything else. The question I would have is even as someone who tries not to go overboard, you know, questioning play calling or tries to recognize that, there's going to be all these layers to what you're trying to do in any given game, why you feel like you should be running to the short side of the field or why this guy's only in for these certain packages or, you know, why it is that, that you keep sort of hammering these route concepts or combinations, even when they don't seem to be working, whatever. There's a lot more to that than just like, Oh, I only have a four page playbook because I play Madden and it's the only plays I know. Like that's that's not how that job works. Having said that, I would like to think I have also watched a lot of football in my life. And it has been hard to sort of understand, particularly the Akron game. And again, I don't know, maybe Indiana just felt it could be vanilla in this game. Maybe, frankly, to some extent, players didn't take this game seriously enough because they saw coaches not taking it seriously enough. I don't know. For example, and I know you brought this up, I think, last night on our video. Um, you know, I mean, Indiana used a ton of Jalen Lucas in the past game against Louisville, and it worked great. He had like 10 catches for, not, I think, 98 yards and a touchdown. And I don't think Jalen Lucas even had a target last night. But in, uh, on the other hand, they kept asking him to pass block, which is obviously, understandably, something he struggles with. And, and, then, and uh, Tom and then, and then when they, both running backs were terrible at it last night. So, yeah, that didn't work And out. then when they put the ball in his hands, it was all, almost always on belly plays. You know, stuff just yeah. straight straight up the guard, straight behind the center. You know, the, the few times they got him to the edge, it felt very sort of, like, predictable. And it's like it felt very easy to read what they were trying to do. And so a lot of stuff got strung out, and he wound up having to work, you know, really hard for, frankly, you know, not a lot of payoff um, in terms of yardage. Um, it's just hard to understand, I guess, essentially just sort of, you know, what the plan is. And Kevin Wilson had a phrase that I've used a thousand times on this podcast, and I think it's a really good one. Um, one of us was asking him, you know, basically what, what kind of, how he would define his offense. And Kevin was a famously a contrarian. He just liked to argue with you. And so he just kind of pushed back on the, the premise of the question by saying, you know, people want to come up with these these fancy sort of names for your, their offense. They call it this, they call it that. He said, your offense is what you can block. If you can't block it, you can't run it. You can call it whatever you want, but if you can't block it, you can't run it. And I think Indiana's offensive line, this is not a commentary specifically on line play. I think Indiana's offensive line has had a lot more good moments, especially given that we have seen them against two power, pretty good, fat, but I think, I think, in all likelihood, pretty good power five teams in the first four weeks. I think it's had moments that show it has improved. 
And so then I look at a game last night and I just think you, it feels like you're running stuff. You're not confident blocking. It feels like you're running stuff. That's not really complimenting itself. Like, you know, you're taking deep shots on first down, but then running belly dives on second down. You know, I understand why you might take a deep shot on first down. I understand why you might run on third down from time to time, but it, it just feels like stuff is really disjointed. Stuff is really out of sync. Stuff is just kind of like, it's hard to sort of understand. It's hard to, to take, even in a really sort of like bare bones, you know, absolutely like fundamental way, take these things and piece them together and say, this is what they're trying to do, what they're trying to build toward. And that's when it starts to, I think, worryingly look like last season's offense, which which would have nights like this where it would just go a quarter and a half without, you know, a, a drive of more than five plays or a drive where there was where Indiana got more than one first down, where it would go, you know, three quarters before it crossed midfield, like that kind of thing. And, and not just against Michigan or Ohio State, but in games where Indiana should, in theory, be more competitive. And I think that that would be my general concern. It's not I'm not just saying, oh, they're regressing to last year, because I do think there are ways this offense sh- at least should be and is on paper better than it was a year ago. But it's more the idea that, like, I just I, – I after – sort of understanding why they did what they did against Ohio State. And then understanding, I, I would, you know, at least in so far as, in so much as it, it worked, understanding what they were doing against Indiana State and Louisville. I watched this game and I just thought, I don't under, I don't get what IU's trying to do. I don't understand how IU thinks that sort of, if this is point A, point A is going to get them to point B, to point C, to, you know, all the way to the end zone. Well, and it was baffling, you know, like because Louisville was the game where you thought maybe they're conservative because it's Taven Jackson's first real start against you know power, you know like you know he played a little bit in Ohio State, but the pressure's on him. But they were comfortable with throwing him a lot, right? <laughs> like stepping back and letting him sort of uh, make the reads, uh, tar- and he was you know effective getting the ball to like what nine different players. I think he targeted eight head catches, um, and. Now you face a worse team and you kind of don't do that. Like you said, like you hold it back, but like to what end? Like, why not do that the first half to sort of build momentum? And then the second half, like, I, I don't know what happened there. Like, you know, they, they just sort of lost the plot. It, no felt, I mean, it, it felt like a, an example of you can't just turn it back on. Like, you you know, the, and, and this is where I yeah. this is where, like, if if I am sort of allowing myself to speculate a little bit i wonder if there's an extent to which indiana's players felt like they saw indiana's coaches not in in some shape or form not taking this game as seriously as as they needed to and again like i i want to be very careful when i say stuff like that because it's really easy for people to take that as he's reporting this or you know yeah, this is what's you know this is what he's hearing and he's just hinting it at it because he can't he can't say it out loud or whatever this is genuinely just speculation but you know i look at like that offensive game plan and i just think it's not even just that it struggled it's that it, it there was nothing in it to me that looked like okay you know these like were what were they setting up like you're, you're to your point like what were yeah, they setting like, up the, well, or, or, or there, was, there was no payoff to any of it parallel, so like you know like, yeah, like, like in, in in parallel like this is the lesson that Indiana learned last week against Louisville. And this is how they built. Like it, it didn't feel like anything built on that. It didn't feel like anything joined up. And actually, like if I have some sympathy for Indiana's defense, it's that it played well for about two and a half, 
maybe even three quarters, and then frankly just looked tired. Like it just and and honestly, like there's an extent to which I think Akron benefited from the fact that DJ Irons left the game for about a quarter and a half because he came back. Well, I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, because uh, I was reading through Joe Moorhead's comments and I wrote wrote it up because I was surprised he got an IV that in the locker room. So I mean, like he was. But it must have been dehydrated. Or, it wasn't like an ankle sprain so, or something. So he, but no, but he had been. He was not. But he was shaken up after he did get hit. So they oh, looked I at see. him in the injury tent. So he spent time there, and then he was, I guess, dehydrated. Then went to the locker room. So I mean, you know, it was kind of a, his kind. Of, you know, unlikely that then he comes back with less than eight minutes to go. And to your point, I'm looking at the box score. Akron had the ball uh, for 35 minutes. And in the second half, all those three and outs started adding up. They're light at cornerback because Jameer Johnson and Nick Toomer is out. They're playing man coverage most of the time, like uh, uh, Tom Allen said. Um, and as much as they've rotated on the defensive line, um, you know, like you said, it, it looked like a team that was gassed a little bit. Um, and then when they're blitzing, you know, they can't get back. To, to contain and uh, it all added up as sort of the perfect storm. Uh, and when they shift but, the zone, and I think Tom Allen kind of suggested they shifted to more zone stuff because they wanted to keep eyes on the quarterback. Right. Because when you're in man, you're not really watching the quarterback when you're in zone. Obviously you're, you're just, you're watching the play in front of you and covering an area rather than a player. Um, but then when you do that, if you don't have your most experienced defensive backs out there, it's really easy for some things to break down. And you know, it just, it kind of, I mean, it felt like a night when everybody, and and again, teams have these nights, and it is totally possible, and I, I wouldn't necessarily say I'd call it likely right now, but it's possible that Indiana does learn from this, that Indiana picks itself up, that this was, you know, a, a, a certain measure of, you know, sort of system shock that Indiana needed. They got it, and now they're going to take off, or or not take off, but now they're going to, you know, they're going to play better next week at Maryland. They're going to have a good bye week. They're going to play well against Rutgers at home. They're going to power into November and, and really make a push for bowl eligibility. But it, it felt like the sort of game where you saw a whole bunch of people sort of looking around and waiting for somebody else to figure it out. And like that, you know, Indiana gets that. Um, what was it? The I guess it was the Lewis Moore interception return for a touchdown. And it was like, okay, well, now the dam will break. And Indiana gets down inside the whatever it was yard line, five yard line, two yard line. And you thought, oh, okay, now Akron will just kind of, you know, Akron will run out of steam. They'll recognize that they they played the best they could. But it'll just it'll just sort of happen on its own, and it just kind of felt like one of those games. And, and, and this is impossible to quantify, but we've all seen them, and I don't think it's unfair to sort of speculate this as you know th this is at least part of it. When you literally had the coach and the players saying, "We should have won this game by more points. We did not take this seriously enough. This is on us." It just felt like a night when everybody sort of was waiting for somebody else to make the play or to do the thing that just sort of like you know, sparked the fire and put Akron away. And what happened was they let, a, you know, frankly, a bad team, a bad team, but with a quarterback that can hurt you in, you know, a pretty pronounced way, hang around until, you know, they kind of ran out of, ran out of energy. And frankly, they were fortunate, you know, that, that once again, <laughs> not for the first time in the last couple of seasons, they were saved by a, a, a missed field goal. And one last thing on the offense, I'm curious as to, what you make 
of the goal line struggles because now these are not isolated. It's two games in a row, quite a few plays. I mean, they've basically had, I think, eight plays at the like two to three yard line now in the last two games and come away with a field goal. <laughs> um, you know, may- maybe they missed Josh Henderson a little bit, but he was one of the problem last week where he couldn't get in. Um, y- you know, obviously, you know, to your point, it doesn't feel like they've figured out what they want their offensive identity to be. You mentioned the option going away. They did, they haven't done any of that at the goal line. Um, you know, they went to the wildcat with Donovan McCulley. Um, and that was almost, I mean, the first time they went to a, it's a near disaster. He ran into his own running back and they kept him in, um, you know, goal line struggles, you know, sort of symptomatic of just the rest of the, the, the team struggles. And is that sort of unique to this year? Have they had these problems, Going back to last year, because I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm kind of curious as to what the um, say that again, but you know, the goal line proficiency was um, last year. I mean, I don't remember exact numbers. I, I will say I don't remember a stretch where Indiana just seems so inept around the goal line. The goal line specifically. Now, Indiana obviously wasn't necessarily the greatest red zone offense in the world last year. Yeah, and, I, and coaches um, will say, and well, then, the, the field's shorter and all that. And I get that, yeah. but I mean, at the two-yard line, we're talking well, about something and it's, it's more, you know, it's it's funny. Under Kalen DeBoer and Nick Sheridan, they, they built this quarterback sneak package that looked essentially like what we saw Indiana run that dive with Josh Henderson out of against Louisville in, in the goal line stand against Louisville. The quarterback would snap, and you you can go back and find like uh, I think Michael Penix scored the game tying, what well, turned out to be the game tying touchdown after they, after they converted the two point conversion against Penn State in that like famous win during the COVID season. Um, the quarterback like takes the snap, takes like one step back into the side, and basically drives in behind the guard. And there's like a tight end behind the guard. The tight end goes in behind the guard, and basically is just supposed to wedge enough space for the quarterback to tuck his shoulder and push through shielding the ball and gets it over the line. It worked really, really well in 2019. It worked pretty well in 2020. Um, we've only seen that formation, I think, really, the I guess the one time, right, which was the Josh mm-hmm. Henderson time. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it. I don't know if you don't feel comfortable asking a redshirt freshman to do that. I mean, you know, the, the, other, the other thing about it is in the – up until, I guess, was it last year? Um or no, it was, it was two years ago. I mean, they had Stevie Scott, who was a 235-pound running back. So, like, the, the other thing that they had offensively in those situations, whether it was short yardage or goal line or whatever, was a dude who was just, you know, 6'2 and chiseled and never went backward. And I yeah. think they've never really replaced that. You know, maybe they hope that would be Trent Howland. I'm not sure. Um, but they've never really replaced that either in, in their kind of offense. And so... I don't remember it being nearly so pronounced as what we've seen the last two weeks. And obviously the other part of it is, you know, how many times do you just get inside the two yard line? Like, you know, typically, even if you have troubles in the red zone, you you might stall at the six or at the four, but it's not like literally you could reach out and touch the goal line. It's just such a unique, I mean, we have such a compressed body of work in two weeks that, I mean, you really kind of see their their, their, their struggles are on full display. Um, And so, yeah, how many times these situations come up, but it's the same thing as short yardage situation, you know, third and one, fourth and one, because they haven't been very good on fourth and one either. Um, I don't know the percentages. I guess I could look it up. It all just feels like, again, an offense that just has it like is an offense where everything feels labored. You know, where yeah. we're like, and, and that was, 
that was a big part of what impressed me anyway about Taven Jackson's performance against Louisville was it didn't feel that way. Like it felt like they had to kind of ease him in the first couple drives and, and they had some, you know, Tom Allen, I think it was, it was fair to say they had a couple drives that were going well and basically just, you know, kind of stalled for d- random different reasons in that first half. But like they got him into a rhythm. He was comfortable. He was spreading the ball around. You could, again, at least in a real basic way, you could see how these different pieces fit together to sort of keep building towards something larger or whatever. And then, you know, it's, it's just like another week where it feels like, especially in kind of the crunch moments, I mean, Indiana's three of 14 on third downs. Um, in, on the season, I, I did pull that up. They're one of seven on fourth. So, I mean, and, you can kind of see, um, and, and I, and, you know, not all of those were fourth and two, but uh, quite a few of them um, are short yard or short yard situations where they just failed to, to convert. And I mean, the other, and if you look at um, third down conversions, I mean, they're eighth in the big 10, they're converting 43% of their third downs. That's fine. That's, that's, that's but not the outlier. Is it 12 of 16 against Indiana state? The other three That's, games yeah. are under 40%. So yeah, uh, that, so, I mean, up. it's, it's, it skews it a little bit. Yeah. It just feels like an offense that like nothing is really coming easily, but that's, but not necessarily, I'm not trying to make these, you know, this, this isn't like a, the, you know, the 2000 Rams, but it's not, it's, it's an offense where nothing is coming easily. And that's not just because they don't have talent. It feels like they, cause they cannot figure out, how to find that sweet spot that coaches always talk about in terms of saying, you know, when we want to put our players in the best position for success, right. um, you know, that, well, that, and, and you know, it, it, well, it, the reason I think it's, it's important while well, Bell said just as much, you know, and, and Tom Allen about all these explosive players they have. And they've, I mean, they got nobody involved except for camp camper and the game plan last week uh omar cooper sort of disappeared uh dequeese carter's really struggled to sort of get in a rhythm so you know all these guys that they talked about kind of in fall camp they just haven't been able to use them and i, and I think that has been surprising um you know i know obviously the first two weeks they're trying to find their quarterback um but to see a game against a, a defense where you should be sort of being able to call your spots uh to not be able to really do anything I think it's certainly concerning. I don't think Walt Bell deserves all the, the blame. I think obviously, you know, everything went wrong in that game. But uh, I do think it's interesting through four games where this team is at, um, you know, offensively. And, and and to your point, I think it's kind of a pivotal moment. I think they need need a good game against Maryland, and then they have that bye. Um, you know, two more poor performances. I think you really have to be concerned because I think the talent level on the offense. I mean, they do look. I mean, you know, you you can't w- the way they played. Uh, against Louisville, this is a team capable of doing some damage um, and shouldn't be, you know, struggling to score touchdowns for entire games. And the other thing you run into too, and and we'll we'll round this off in in a minute. But the other thing you run into too is something Indiana has struggled with the last couple of seasons, which is, you know, particularly in twenty twenty one to a lesser extent in twenty twenty two, but at times it was still there. You had some of these promising signs from a defense, and and. Yeah. You know, and this year, frankly, has been as promising as Indiana's defense looked in, you know, in the last three seasons. But it's it's still kind of the same basic idea of you have these, you know, you have a a, a defense that shows you enough to make you think if it can, if you can play some complimentary football, if you can get to a place where maybe you're up fourteen nothing, you know, you used to have a couple of really good drives to start a game, and then suddenly. The other teams panic a little bit and they're chasing and they're suddenly they're, you know, they're, they're, they're not doing what they want to do because they're thinking, well, you're essentially describing the second half against Louisville. Yeah. I mean, then, then 
it can make a difference and, and it can, you know, it, it, I know sometimes these things feel like they, they sort of happen, you know, almost in a vacuum, but it, it goes back and forth so much. And what happened at least to some extent, certainly in that 21 season, to some extent, even last season was the offense just kind of bottomed out so badly that the defense kind of fell apart with it because eventually the defense was just on the field too much. being asked to make too many plays, the rubber, you know, the, the proverbial rubber band was stretched too thin and it snapped. And, um, Indiana has got to avoid that. And that is why, I mean, listen, that, you know, I think Bill Connolly's S P projection has them a three touchdown underdog at Maryland this weekend. Um, and it's kind of hard to argue that right now. Maryland looked really good at Michigan State. I know Michigan State's a wreck right now, but on the road in the Big Ten to look that good, it, it says a lot. Um, I, you know, I don't know if Indiana's got to win this game, although, as I said on the video last night, Indiana's been to four bowls in the last eight years. The one constant is in those four, in terms of their Big Ten performance in those four seasons, when they've beaten Maryland, they've gone bowling. When they've lost to Maryland, they haven't. Um, this game, for whatever reason, has always been a bit of a swing for them you know, annually, they've at least got it. I think, as you said, find a way to have a good day because they, they just, they need to feel like it, it, I think that you have, even with, okay, a new offensive line coach and a new quarterback and some, some newish receivers, it's not hard to start feeling like everything is just turning into last season. If you have another game, well, I, I, and whether they lose or not, they can't afford another three quarter stretch. Or, or you know, two quarter stretch where they just don't score any touchdowns. I mean, you then you're starting. I think that you you got to quiet the noise a little bit and put together a competent offensive performance for four quarters. That's not against Indiana State. I think that's the bottom line. I mean, whether that wins you the game or not, you have to do that. I mean, I think that's the minimum. Or you're just going to keep. I mean, it's just I think the the um, the concerns keep amping up, and then like you said. You know, teams start to lose their grasp on things when you know one side's they're not pulling their weight, and I think it's a shame because I think Taven Jackson, you know, you mentioned after the game, <laughs> I thought his admirable like those drops were on me. I, you know, just a really impressive sort of kid to stand up, and I, he gets it. Um, obviously, I think his background helps him in terms of the high level athletics. His you know whole family has essentially played and grown up uh, with Trace, and so it's a shame to sort of waste that. Where I think you could be building something, looking towards the future, um, but you've got to get this kind of figured out. And I think, and, and I, I guess I'll let you have the last word on this before we wrap up. But the the most fundamental question to me is is basically to what extent this is tactical, I guess for lack of a better term, or strategic. Um, and to what extent this is intangible, like to, to what extent this is defined by anything you can understand from at least a, a, a very basic perspective, like through the lens of a video game, you know, whether it's aggregate overall talent or it's your playbook or it's, mm -hmm. you know, your game plan and your X's and O's and what of it is, uh, you know, this, this, this sort of like, we didn't take Akron seriously enough, you know, was that a one week thing? Is that reflective of a team that's just, is not, you know, capable of kind of pulling together the intangibles that are going to be necessary. Um, I don't know how to answer that question. I, I think next weekend in college park is going to be a fascinating watch. Um, and it could, I mean, there's an extent to which it, it could really, kind of define the remainder of Indiana's season in my mind. Yeah, well, I mean, absolutely. And I, I think 
you know, once, you know, I covered uh, Virginia Tech when uh, Fuentes, Justin Fuentes last season, and once a cloud starts to hang over your team, and I'm not saying that, you know, any jobs are in jeopardy at this point, but I'm just saying once, you know, that sort of you lose that confidence, uh, it's really hard to sort of break that. And you've got some tough teams coming up. Like if you get pounced by Maryland and then Michigan, uh, you got that law, you know, you have that bye week to like let that Maryland loss linger. It, it's going to be really hard to get out of that funk. And I think it's a shame because there were some building blocks, like I said, in these first couple of weeks that I thought were positive steps forward. Um, and then, you know, losing the Maryland game, not just kind of showing up here seems to, you know, you, you feel, like you said, a lot worse about going into Maryland than you would have, I think, uh, just a week ago at this time. Dramatic pause as I once again unmute my microphone. He was just taking it all in of what I said. <laughs> well, I, I definitely wasn't filling out the the uh, the title bar of an email because I forgot to apply for parking at Maryland this weekend, and it just occurred to me to to go ahead and fire that off. Uh, will I get to drive around the campus of College Park, uh, University of Maryland College Park, on Saturday? This and more we will find out sometime in the next seven days. Um, but between now and then, for Mike Nizelik, for the Blues and Herald Times, for the Indianapolis Star, I'm Zach Gosterman. Programming note, uh, working on having somebody on midweek to talk about Maryland, to just give listeners uh, a sense for what to expect from the Terps. Uh, they're really quite good and better than I, frankly, thought they would be. Um, so I will, I will gladly sort of eat crow on that. For Mind Your Banners, uh, or thank you for listening to Mind Your Banners, I should say, for uh, Sunday, or you'll probably hear it Monday. Uh, but September 24th is when we are talking. We will talk to you again midweek and again next weekend. Have a good week, everybody.